Good morning, everybody. We are uh, continuing a series in uh, the first six chapters of the book of Daniel. And uh, so you can open your Bibles there if you have one or if you have a Bible app. It's towards the end of the Old Testament, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. We're um, spending six weeks looking at this book. Now, it's interesting, there is kind of a grand, kind of a dual grand theme to the first six chapters and really the whole book of Daniel. And every single week, we could essentially preach the same thing in the sense that a new example of both God's sovereignty exists as well as a call towards the faithfulness of God's people. Over and over and over again, we're just seeing new scenario, new scenario, new scenario, the same truths. The author of Dan, Daniel, is trying to show us that we are to trust that God is in control even when it seems like everything's going wrong and to remain faithful to Him because of that. That is the theme here yet again this morning. So just to get us uh, up to speed, what we saw in Daniel 1 was that uh, King Nebuchadnezzar uh, and the nation of Babylon came in and overthrew the southern kingdom uh, called Judah, overtook Jerusalem and those places, and dragged back at that time um, the best and brightest young people, including Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, to Babylon, essentially to indoctrinate their best and brightest as one of the ways to overthrow this, the nation of Israel. And so they go and do that. But Daniel, being a young man, a teenager, really, so teen boys, listen up, all right? It's, your faith is your own. Now, just like Daniel, in the midst of his teenage life, he has resolved that he will not defile himself. He will not become Babylonian. He will be a follower of Jesus. So well, they will try and educate him otherwise and change his name and get him to eat the king's food. He will not give his life over to Babylonia and Marduk, the god of the Babylonians. He will remain faithful to his god. And so he suggests to the the one in command over him, rather than eat the king's food, can I please have, and my friends as well, vegetables and water? So rather than the king's luxurious buffet, Daniel wants to be faithful to his God, not defile himself. And so he's like, give me the veggies. And and he's, he's in his faithfulness, he's also expecting that God will be faithful to him, and he is. So while Daniel and his friends are eating vegetables and drinking water, while the rest are having the king's buffet, it's actually Daniel and his friends that put on weight. God met Daniel in the midst of his striving to remain faithful to God in difficult circumstances and saw him through. Last week, Pastor Jonathan was preaching through Daniel chapter 2, where Nebuchadnezzar has had these recurring dreams, and he's just He wants to know what they mean, and so he's having them over and over again. They're troubling him, and so he calls for, you know, his magicians, his wise men, his enchanters all to come together, tell him what his dream means, but he doesn't trust these these guys very much. He doesn't just say, he doesn't tell them the dream and then ask for an interpretation. He says, what I want you to do is tell me what my dream was and then give me the interpretation of it. Then he could know that it was a true interpretation. Well, all of these magicians and enchanters, these wise men are like, that's impossible. Who is the God who can do such a thing? And Daniel's like, I know a God 
who can do such a thing. And Daniel, before he has any clue what the dream is, before he has any clue what the interpretation is, says, uh, tell the king I'll interpret the dream. And God meets him in the middle of his faithfulness and gives him both the dream and the interpretation of it. Now we arrive here in Daniel chapter 3 where Nebuchadnezzar has built a golden statue, may have been of himself, King Nebuchadnezzar, may have been of the god Marduk, but really these are kind of interchangeable things because these kings really believed they were among the gods and that when they won battles, it was that they were essentially gods and winning these. And so regardless of who the figure was, it was Nebuchadnezzar or the god Marduk, we see that it was 60 cubits by 6 cubits. A cubit, we believe, is about a foot and a half. So we're talking about uh, a 9 feet wide and 90 feet tall, probably gold-plated. I mean, let's not get carried away, right? Just plated with gold, not solid gold, but perhaps... And he's calling everybody together, like all the leaders from all the provinces of Babylon together. Other nations that they've overthrown, that's why languages, nations, peoples are coming together. It's because Babylon had overthrown many peoples. He's gathering all of the leaders from all of the provinces together. And did you catch it? I'm pretty sure you caught it because it was listed like five times. When they were to hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp... The bagpipe for crying out loud. Like, when has bagpipes ever been used in worship? I don't know. But the bagpipes are being broken out, and they're to fall down while bagpipes are playing, astounding, and, and, and worship this idol, this statue. That's what they're instructed to do. I mean, Daniel's actually showing us in the repetition that this is kind of a comical thing. Nebuchadnezzar is saying, like, you'll be put to death if you don't bow down and worship. I mean, how sincere is that worship going to be? It, it, it's a comedic scenario in a sense, this, this command to essentially worship him. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego won't do it. Now, there's no mention of Daniel in Daniel chapter 3, and that could be because he wasn't there. He was doing business for the uh, king of Babylon somewhere else, or perhaps he had been risen. We see him rise in power, much like Joseph in Egypt. So perhaps he's risen to such power in Babylon that he's, he's not one of the ones that has to bow. Or perhaps um, others fear Daniel so much at this point that they don't want to stick their necks out and say that Daniel's not bowing. I don't know what the scenario is, but there's just no mention of Daniel here. What we're meant to see is that Daniel's not the only one who's faithful in hard times. There are others who are faithful in the midst of adversity. And so what's happening here is that the Chaldeans, really some of these magicians, some of these enchanters, observe that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't bow. So they tell King Nebuchadnezzar. I don't think Nebuchadnezzar has a lot of faith in these Chaldeans because he, he brings... He doesn't really take them at, the, at, at their word. And so he calls these three young men together, likely the same age as Daniel, these teenage boys, maybe a little bit older at this point, and says, is it true? I'll give you another shot when you hear the harp, the lyre, <laughs> all of these things. Bow down. Like, and, they, and they say that they will not. And so Nebuchadnezzar is infuriated here and calls for them to be thrown into the furnace this fiery furnace to, um, when it's seven times hotter, really it's saying as hot as can be. Uh, and so picture with me, probably on the, on the hillside out near where this, um, 
where this statue is, there's likely was a furnace there on the hillside with an opening in the top and an opening on the bottom. The opening on the top was there so that they could drop in whatever they were going to do, like cook bricks or the drop in gold that was to be melted in order to be used for the statue like this. And so we have an opening at the top and then an opening at the bottom where they could kind of open doors and get the things that they had put in to cook. And so we see that they are dropped down. They fell into the fiery furnace. And so that is the scenario in which they find themselves. Just before doing that, the king's question is this. Who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? He's thinking there isn't such a God. But their answer we see in verse 16 is this. We have no need to answer you in this matter. That's where they start. We actually don't need to answer your question of, Who's the God that can deliver us? And, and they're not trying to be rude or cheeky. They're just saying, that's up to our God who can deliver. He will or he won't, as we'll see. They don't actually know, but they do trust that it's only their God who can deliver them. They say in verse 17, if this be so, that we need to be put into the fiery furnace, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Very first point on the outline, I want to talk about deliverance from the fire, and then we'll talk about deliverance through the fire. But first, deliverance from the fire, I want us to see, I want us to understand that God is able to deliver us from the fire. That's why these young men say, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. He is able, and He will deliver us out of your hand. God is able. My mic doesn't really work, but God is able. God is able to save them. They trust that to be true. I I wonder, do you? Do you believe in a God who is able to deliver you from the fiery furnace? from the things that plague your life, the difficulties you are facing right now. Oh, we are facing difficulties. Each one of us. They come to mind right away. You and I know what they are for each of us. We have these fiery furnace situations. In our, do you have a God who can save you from them? Do you, do you, is your God so big, like the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that He can deliver you? I mean, this goes back to the whole sovereignty belief that's undergirding Daniel, this belief that God is in control of all things, that that he rules and he reigns over everything in the world. A few weeks ago, Ken Neufeld, a a, a local missionary here in Chilliwack, part of our church, preached uh, a sermon uh, on our values sent on mission and encouraged us to to love our neighbor, to serve our neighbor. And... uh, The very next day, a woman named Linda in our church got up in the morning and she prayed, Lord, show me who my neighbor is today. Because we we see in the scriptures that even enemy, as far as enemy, is still our neighbor. Anybody uh, that God puts in our path is someone for us to love as a neighbor. We're called to do that as Christians. And so Linda, uh, after hearing this, this message sent on mission, said, yeah, God, 
please show me who my neighbor is today. And she had this kind of inner turmoil that morning as she prayed that prayer, this inner turmoil. She was fighting some stuff in her own heart, and she, she, she wanted to run the stairs at Promontory, so she drove there, and then she got there. She's like, forget it. I'm not doing this. I don't want to run the stairs. Like, I don't blame her. I understand that sentiment. She drove home. She got home, and she said, no, what am I doing? I, I should go run the stairs. And so she went, drove back, ran the stairs. Of course, a lot of time has passed now at this point. She starts to go up the stairs, and nobody's on the stairs, except partway up. She, she goes by a, a, a woman who's stopped, and she just keeps going, and, but she has this kind of prick in her spirit, and she's like, I feel like I should have stopped. I feel like I should have talked to her. I feel like something's wrong with this young woman. And so I... So, so, so Linda goes a little further and then she stalls. She pretends to tie her shoes or stretch or something like that. She's like, I want this woman to catch up to me so I can, oh, happen to have a chat with her. And eventually this woman catches up to her and Linda looks her in the eyes and says, you're not doing very well today, are you? The woman looks at her and says, no, I'm not. And Linda said, God, God told me to pray for you and I've been praying for you ever since I ran past you a few minutes ago. And the woman looked at her and said, I, I used to follow God, but two years ago I gave it all up and walked away and I was just praying, God, if you're real, will you bring me somebody today? And Linda, who a little while earlier prayed that morning, show me who my neighbor is, encountered her neighbor on a trail who needed to hear from God, who needed to be loved by the children of God. Look, yay Linda, right? I, I, I love that. But yay God, who rules over everything and says, yeah, when you cry out, show me yourself, bring me somebody, I'm working that because I'm working all things. So when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego come across a fiery furnace scenario, they go, our God can deliver us. Do you believe that? Because he can. And if you stick, this is where we're going this morning. If you stick it out with Jesus in the midst of a fiery furnace, he will see you through. Guaranteed. He's a God who delivers which leads me to the second subpoint. This is the way I get away with nine points in my sermon as I do like eight subpoints of like one point. Deliverance from the fire here first. God is able. Secondly, God has done it. God ha God's able, but God has done it. Look, Nebuchadnezzar saying, who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? In his minds, there is no God like that. But in our minds, we should say, our God can Who's the God who can deliver us out of the fire? Ours. Our God can. And the reason that we can have that settled belief is because he already has. God has delivered us from the flames. Jesus took the fires of hell upon himself so that we wouldn't have to. At the core of following Jesus is the belief that Jesus died in our place. The kind of big theological framework for that is that we believe in the substitutionary atonement. The work that Jesus did in our place to earn our salvation on our behalf, Jesus has done it. Look, this last weekend uh, was our Alpha retreat. We did an Alpha course this fall, and a life group in our church has been leading Alpha. 
Um, Alf Weeb is, is the, the leader of that life group, and so I like to spell Alpha now, A-L-F-A, just because he's, great. he's leading Alpha really well. Uh, and so that's, this life group went and, and led this Alpha retreat, and a, a woman among us gave her life to Jesus this weekend. We praise God because what she was able to do was see Jesus for who he is and what he's done and to put her trust in him that he accomplished her salvation for her, his work. It is finished. He has done it. And she turned and believed. And I want you to know you can do the same. Jesus has taken on the flames in your place. God has done it. But look it, that's just really the quick point because in this instance and in many instances in our lives, God doesn't deliver us, God doesn't deliver these young men from the fire. Actually, it seems like the normative way that God seems to work is that he delivers us through the fire. It's not our ideal. It's not what we'd prefer. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego believed their lives were over. They were thrown into the furnace. But as we can see from this story, They experience deliverance through the fire. Now look, firstly, this requires putting trust in God. Nebuchadnezzar said in verse 15, If you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. The young men go on to say in verse 17, If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, Be it known to you, O king, we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. These young men could not be more pressed up against it. Even if he doesn't deliver us from the flames, we won't worship. We trust God that much. And deliverance through the fire requires putting trust in God. They're not sure if God will deliver them for the fiery furnace or not. I mean, look at the context. Their nation has already been overthrown. They're already existing in the fires of exile. That's going on. How can they trust, oh, but God's going to spare us from the flames? They don't know that he will, but they still trust him. They still believe that God is true, that God is sovereign, that God reigns, that he is good. They believe God is able to deliver them, but if God chooses not to, they will remain faithful to him regardless. Listen, they obey God not because they're certain he'll deliver them from the flames, but because their God is the one true God, whether he rescues them or not. Can you say that? God is God. Whether he rescues you in your present difficulties or not. Here and now. This is, this is how Isaiah spoke of God in Isaiah 43. He says, fear not, for I have redeemed you, God says to us. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. I mean, this harkens back to the Red Sea, the parting of the sea. They walk through on dry ground. But listen to the next part. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. But listen, you're going to walk through the fire, though. And the flame shall not consume you. You're going to experience the flame, the fire, but not ultimately. 
For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Without putting your trust in God, there's no reason to bow to an idol. Sorry, there's no reason not. If you're not putting your trust in God, there's no reason not to bow to an idol. But when our trust is in God, we are certain of our deliverance. There is, this requires trust in God. And with that, a refusal to serve other gods no matter what. Verse 18 again. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you set up. I just talked about the parting of the Red Sea and God freeing the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. The same God who delivered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's ancestors from slavery in Egypt made a covenant with his people after delivering them through the waters. And he gave them in that covenant his law. And he gave them the command. It's the second command in the Ten Commandments. You shall not bow down to idols or worship them. So there is, with this trust in God, a refusal to bow and to worship idols, other gods. Idolatry is putting anything in the place of God. Look, we don't typically worship, bow down and worship gold statues unless you love the Oscars like that much. But like we just typically don't bow to idols physically that we've crafted or fashioned. But, but anything that takes the place of God in our lives is ultimate. That's idolatry if it's not Jesus. Listen to what Jesus says. To worship other gods is to deny Jesus, Luke 12. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before when men will be denied before the angels of God. goes on in verse 11, And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Really fascinating scenario here. We are called to worship Jesus. We are called never to deny Jesus, never to worship another. To deny God is to, deny, is to be denied by God for all eternity. To follow Jesus requires refusal to serve other gods. But again, Jesus gives reason to trust God. Despite hard circumstances, the Lord will be with you. We're going to see that later on in this as well. Which leads to our next point. Deliverance through the fire involves affliction. It just does. Paul knew this in Philippians 1 when he says, it's my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed. Not be ashamed of my conduct, not be ashamed of my living, not be ashamed of what God has done through me, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul with confidence, I mean, Paul would go on to be martyred, go on to be killed by the Romans. And he knows that he's up against it. And his, his, what he's saying is, I, I, I'm going to have courage. I'm going I'm to see this faith through no matter what happens. And if God gives me life, it will be to the praise and glory and service of King Jesus as long as I live. And if he chooses to take me, well, then it's all glory for all eternity. That's his perspective. But in the midst of that, he knows there will be great affliction now. 
Peter, the same thing. 1 Peter 1, verse 6. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been, what, grieved by various trials. Like, that just does not sound fun. It just doesn't. But, grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Fiery trials, they will come. We will be grieved by various trials, but God will actually work in it. But please do not be surprised that the Christian life involves affliction. Today is uh, the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. Um, it's IDOP, slightly different than IHOP, nothing to do with pancakes, everything to do with prayer for the persecuted. And I came across this story um, a while back. It's from a few years ago. A man named Jeff Sellers writes this story about a Vietnamese pastor known as Silas. A real story happened in Vietnam a few short years ago. Today, the International Day of prayer for the persecuted church. Millions and millions of Christians around the world well aware that the Christian life involves affliction. Local authorities warned that if Silas's church in Vietnam continued to meet without a permit, he could expect to be, see trouble. Be careful, one official told him. Watch out. This was a threat as much as a warning. In Vietnam, as in many other communist and some Islamic countries, government Governments commonly deny or delay church permits, then jail Christians for meeting without a permit. Silas shot back, I don't have to watch out or be careful. God will care for us. He went on to thank the official for the harassment and opposition that Vietnamese authorities had meted out as it unified the country's Christians. Your persecution has made us stronger, Pastor Silas told the official. Thank you for it. Moreover, the pastor told him that he loved him. You can shut down our churches, jail us, torture us. It doesn't matter because we'll still love you, he said. We'll love you because God loves you and wants, you to, wants to see you come to know Christ's salvation. Then he delivered the final loving blow, asking the official if he didn't feel badly about mistreating Christians. Silas told him he suspected it was tearing the man up inside. The officer walked away. Late one night, a little while later, he came back. When the pastor heard him knock on the door, he assumed he was going to be hauled off to jail, but the official's manner was more like that of Nicodemus visiting Jesus, the pastor said. He needed to talk. He was depressed. Silas invited him in, and in tears, the officer told him how he did indeed feel badly about forcibly restraining Christians from worship. Most upsetting, though, was that he feared for his job if he did not beat and otherwise harm Christians. He himself felt mistreated at the office. Peers who were lesser officers than he looked down their noses at him, advancing through the ranks by purchasing successively higher positions. The force was rife with such corruption. Silas told him that God had a sterling plan for his life and that he would care for him and guide him if he would only follow his son Jesus before the night was over. The official prayed to receive Jesus. The next miracle was that the official advanced to a high position without bribes. He advanced high enough to know when church raids were about to take place so he could tip off Silas. He would tell us on Saturday that the police were coming on Sunday morning, 
So they'd come and find nobody there, the pastor said. Then we'd meet for worship in the afternoon. These miracles, the pastor concluded, could not have happened without the prayers of believers worldwide. Many other oppressed believers tell of receiving supernatural consolation in the midst of their ordeals. Suffering Christians are actually protected, comforted, and rescued through our prayers as the bride of Christ, the church of Jesus Christ. That's a great reason to pray during International Day of Prayer for the persecuted church. This pastor who was up against it had confidence that the Lord would in some way deliver him. Deliverance through the fire involves affliction, but it also involves the purposes of God. God uses it. God uses our afflictions for great good, including leading an officer who would persecute them to himself. Now, this is a bit of a, a key point here. I need you to hear it. Deliverance through the fire involves affliction and abandoning comfort and safety as ultimate. The normal Christian life is not one of comfort and safety. Like we just have to hear that because I, there's this kind of this misunderstanding, I think, that exists that, that if I follow Jesus, all will go well. And then we're horribly disappointed when Jesus doesn't come through in the ways that we expect him to. We need to remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who's, who, who are going to be thrown into the flames. And they're like, even if he doesn't, he's God. We worship a Savior who died on a Roman cross. Isaiah put it this way about Jesus. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. First Peter 4, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, knowing that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Jesus, in Luke 12, says, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more that they can do to you. I, I just love that verse. I tell you, my friends, Jesus says, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that there's nothing more they can do to you. <laughs> he goes on, but I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who after he has killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Don't fear those who kill the body. That's the best they can do. They have no hold on eternal life. Rather, fear God who holds your eternal destiny. Fear him. Make decisions based on that. I saw many years ago an illustration by... Uh, uh, a speaker and author named Francis Chan, and it's always stuck with me, and so I'm just, I'm just frankly going to steal it at church. That's what I'm going to do. And so he, maybe some of you have seen this before, but I've got this rope, and pretend with me that this rope goes into that little box over there and just carries on, like around the world. You don't see the end of it. You don't know where it goes. I'm telling you, it just goes on and on and on and on and on. It doesn't stop another six inches past that, Okay. Here's, I think, a huge challenge for us in the Christian life is we follow Jesus and we expect that all will go well for us. Like, to follow Jesus means that he's going to be good to me in the sense that he will bring me comfort and ease and safety, right? And then we begin to prize those things as ultimate in our lives. God's going to 
God's going to come through for me here. That's what he's supposed to do. And so what we begin to do is because we prize our safety and our comfort more than anything else, more than him, in fact, sometimes, is that we, we, we see our lives simply as this little bit of black tape. Like, this is, this is the whole of our lives. And yet this little bit of black tape is only our life here on earth. And this white rope that goes on and on and on and on, right? We know that. This rope just carries on and on. This is eternity. This is our life here. This is eternity. And we make the mistake of, some of us are maybe here. We don't know how many days we have, but you know, some of us are here, right? It's towards the end of of this. We have this. If if we follow Jesus, we have all this. But we're here. And what what do we do? We make decisions about this. We make decisions that'll affect this. I don't even know if you can see my hand move. We make decisions most of the time in our daily lives that affect this. When we have all of this, and so what we're meant to do is not just think about this, we're meant to think about this. This is the grand perspective of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who are before the flames of fire and say, I'm not going to bow to an idol because I'm thinking about this. I'm not thinking about this or even this. I'm thinking about all of this. And so sometimes people might say to you as followers of Jesus, it's like, you're so dumb. Why are you making this reckless decision that's going to affect all of this? And the response to that is, no, you're so dumb because we're making decisions that affect, affect all of this and you're just affecting this. Don't you see? Don't you see how we are to approach affliction, approach suffering like Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, knowing what's promised, knowing what's to come and letting that affect the decisions we make here rather than this. All right, I beat that to death. Let's move on. <laughs> I, I want to be really sensitive here because I, I feel the pain of, of, of so many of you who have been through things. I, I observe your lives and go, I don't know how they bear it all. Like in pastoral care, some of the things we find is that, is that a few people seem to experience affliction after affliction after affliction, and it's like, I don't know how you don't crumble under that. We just pray fervently and try to love well and walk well in those things. I don't know how, and so I want you to hear that. But listen, when affliction comes, when fiery trials come our way, you've observed it, I've observed it, many will walk away from God. It's too hard Why would a loving God allow such difficulties in this life and walk away from the faith? You've seen it. I've seen it. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're like freshly back to church or maybe you're on the brink feeling like, look, can I do? Can I live this Christian life? Like I said, we mistakenly believe that to become a Christian sometimes, we believe that everything will go well for us. And when it doesn't, we question the goodness and love of God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said God is able to deliver us, but even if he doesn't, we won't bow down. I just want you to hear that as encouragement this morning, not chastisement, encouragement in the midst of anything. You can remain faithful to God. But when affliction comes and comes and comes, many walk away. But I have a question if that's the wrestling in your heart right now or those you love. Walk away to where? Like, where will you go? Like, look at Jonah. He tries to run from God. It's, it's a silly exercise, isn't it? God's just like, well, now you're here. Now, now you're here. Now you're here. Like, like, 
if you're going to walk away from God, where are you going to go? Here's, here's what we believe. Everything apart from the Christian faith is just theory in terms of beliefs. It's just theory, a hope or belief that one did enough good to merit heaven or to be reincarnated as a more noble animal or person, right? Like these are, these, are, these are beliefs from theory that say, I think this is how it will be, a belief that this is how it is. No one else, though, has taken on death and come back to tell us what life and death are really like. No one but Jesus has done that. It's not theory. It's not fleeting hopes. It's not crossed fingers. Jesus died and faced death, and then he rose again to tell us what life is truly like and how to live it, and what comes after death, and we can expect it. What we have are not best guesses, hopes, and theories. We have the promises of the one who took on the flames for us, who died in our place, who rose again and invites us into relationship with him. We are promised that Jesus will be present with us in the flames and to ultimately deliver us from the flames. Listen, deliverance through the fire is the confident hope that we possess. To close, I just want to say this. These young men are brought out of the fire, having been in it. And their clothes weren't burned. Their hairs weren't singed. They didn't even smell like smoke. I mean, my experience is like sit by a campfire for five minutes and you can't get the smell out. They were in the fiery furnace. Didn't smell like smoke. Something amazing happened in there because Nebuchadnezzar says, didn't we put three in the fire? Why are there four? And why does the fourth look like a son of the gods? Later he calls him an angel. Whoever, like, didn't we put three in? Yeah, we put three in. Well, there's four. And one looks majestic. These men were delivered not from the fire, but through the fire. And God met them in it. And we can have the same confident hope in God that they did by placing our trust in Jesus. He will literally meet you in it. Just as Nebuchadnezzar tempted Daniel's friends to fall down and worship the golden statue when Jesus was in the wilderness fasting and praying, Satan came along and tempted Jesus. All these, all these kingdoms of the world and their glory, I will give you if you fall down and worship me, Satan said to Jesus. And while Daniel's friends faced the fiery furnace and lived, Jesus faced the cross and died. And then he rose. Rose again to give us hope for eternity. And Rose is living to be our ever-present help in time of need. Don't run from him. Where will you go? No one else has been where Jesus has been. No one else meets you in your distress like Jesus and will see you through it. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus. I'm not sure if that was your pre-incarnate self in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Perhaps it was. But either way, at the very least, your presence was made manifest to them in their most dire moment. 
you reveal that you are sovereign, loving, and good, and will see your children through. And you call us even into flames, even into hardships and trials, promising to meet us in them, and yes, promising to see us all the way through towards an eternity with you. Oh, Lord, give us courage. Give us strength in the midst of present difficulties and give us the vision to live for eternity. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen.